welcome to The Quiet Hangout. I'm your host, Mel, and this week I wanted to talk about languages. I've always been someone who enjoys learning languages since I was small. Very often I would just pick up spare random vocabulary from a mixed bag of languages and kind of stuff them into my back pocket. Recently, I've gone back to Duolingo, the app that I think everyone uses at least once and then gets tired of it harassing you and you delete it off your phone. Maybe to go back, maybe not. I usually like invest a bunch of time and then delete it and then download it again and do more languages. I think on my app, I have 12 languages or courses of study that I've been working on, off and on for the last, uh, I don't even know, several, several years. It's just something I've always enjoyed. Originally, when I was in school, I was a double major in sociolinguistics and biochemistry, and I really enjoyed my linguistics courses. Studying language has always been fascinating to me, and when you start getting into the sociolinguistic aspect of like how we use language and how we interact as a society and between people and how that impacts, it was a very interesting course of study, but I ended up switching to teaching later on. So in high school, I studied Japanese and in middle school, I believe there was a compulsory course of Spanish for at least one semester in middle school, either in seventh or eighth grade, something like that. But when I was small, I did some studying in Latin and French, and I was around Spanish a lot, and my neighbors were Japanese, so I was around Japanese a decent amount. And I've just always enjoyed just absorbing language. It's kind of funny at this point, though, because (laughs) I've just been kind of here and there and I have so many languages bouncing around my head and so many different types of grammar. Sometimes when I'm not thinking, I'll just kind of combine everything. There was one day a while ago where I was trying to see if we had any sugar in the house and I asked if we had sugar in Spanish and Japanese using Japanese grammar. And not only do the other people around me only speak English, but I was combining (laughs) multiple languages into one, just amalgam of random, I guess, wasn't quite gibberish, but it kind of came out as gibberish. I'm trying to remember what it was that I said. I think, I mean, I know I used azucar, which is Spanish for sugar, and then I know I ended with imasca, which is, is there any, or is, is there, does it exist in Japanese? I think I might have used a connector phrase from Japanese with the Spanish. It it was weird. (laughs) It just turned out really weird. So right now, what I've been working on, I've been trying to get my Spanish better because it's just kind of a useful language to have in Southern California. I've been working on my Japanese here and there. I kind of just pick it up and dabble. I watch a decent amount of like 
Japanese dramas and I follow several Japanese YouTube channels. So I get kind of my listening practice from that. And then I've been working on Welsh because why not? Everyone's like, why are you learning Welsh? Like there aren't even that many Welsh people who speak Welsh. And I just, I enjoy it. I mean, for goodness sake, I saw that Duolingo had a course in High Valyrian and started doing that because why not? Made up language. It's fine. I've also dabbled in Esperanto, which is not technically like a used language in the world. It's literally a language that was created to be easy to pick up. It's very regular. There aren't any like super exceptions to the grammar or pronunciation. It's just very straightforward. My sister-in-law, she speaks Korean, which is fun. My younger sibling did German in school, I believe, and can also speak circles around me in Greek. My great-grandmother was fluent in seven languages, English, French, Spanish, Armenian, Greek, Turkish, and German. So (laughs) she was an impressive lady, basically, you know, family history. She was born in Turkey as an Armenian, had to flee the genocides to Greece, met my great-grandfather, and then they left Greece to come to America, and it just kind of all went from there. So she she was a very impressive lady, and I think since I was a kid, I've always kind of strived to like, oh, I want to be like her. I want to speak like all the languages, and here I am, not particularly proficient in any of them, probably not even English, especially since I have so many things bumping around my head. I have occasionally forgotten my home language, (laughs) English. There's sometimes I will forget a word in English and it's like, I know this word in four other languages, but I can't remember it in the language I've spoken since birth. That's great. So yeah, Welsh is, there's a lot of W's and Y's. And I keep messing up where a Y goes and where an I goes when I'm spelling because The spelling is boggling my mind just a little bit. Say I'm learning Welsh. I believe it's something like that. My accent is probably horrible. I'm still actively practicing. I know my accent in Spanish is terrible too. Yo hablo español. I'm getting better at rolling my R's though. That was always a struggle. And then I started playing with the High Valyrian course and every R is rolled. So I got lots of practice and I'm getting better at rolling my R's. Still not great, but much better. Yeah, uh, my mother would always complain at me because she speaks Spanish. And she would be like, just just don't. <laughs> just don't speak Spanish. Because you're speaking Spanish with a Japanese accent. And it's just terrible and incomprehensible. So I can read and write fairly well, but I'm generally too shy to speak it to anyone because I'm like, oh no, they're gonna like not understand me or anything like that. That's another topic to talk about. Like that shyness 
in speaking. I don't know if other people have this problem frequently. I know some people are very shy about it, and then you have others that will just charge ahead and speak the language as best they can, accents be damned. I, mm -mm. If, if it does not sound perfect <laughs> to me, I get really, really shy about it, and I don't want anyone to hear me, and I don't want to mess up, and then sometimes trying to generate words or phrases, I'm like, oh man, is my grammar wrong? Is my accent bad? Do I have the right word? I can't, I suddenly can't remember words. <laughs> like I know a bunch of words, but then suddenly it all goes out the window when I have to speak. So generating sentences and things like that gets really difficult, even when I'm writing. Like when I'm studying, I can read sentences and translate them I between English and my target language or vice versa. But as far as generating ideas on my own, very difficult. I'm much better about that in Japanese, but I've also been studying Japanese for 10 years. So that might actually, is it more than that now? It actually might be closer to 15 years, actually. Uh, but it's it's been a very long time that I've been studying Japanese, and it was very useful when I went to Japan because I can actually generate some stuff to say, and I could ask for directions and understand directions, and I could order food and make reservations and things like that. So it's always kind of that situation of, oh, I know a lot more than I think I know, but that shyness and that hesitancy to actually go and like try. I, I would mumble so much. Like I was there and so it would be like, uh, and I was so shy about it that I would like whisper it. And in Japan, in order to get the attention of your server, if they don't give you the check right away, you have to like call them over. So I, I would be like, ah, sumimasen. And then I would have to do it like three or four times before I would be loud enough for the server to hear me and come over. And, you know, sometimes I had to ask for chopsticks or if we couldn't use chopsticks, I'd have to ask for like a fork or silverware or spoon. It wasn't very often, but sometimes that would be the case, especially when I went to like a, a beer. It wasn't really a bar. It was kind of like a tap room. And we went. The other problem would be that often would show up and it's like, oh, white girl, here is an English menu, which that's well and fine. I, I kind of like knew what things were, but it made ordering much more difficult because I could read the Japanese. But with an English only menu, ordering was difficult because I didn't know how to translate the English words and phrases back into Japanese so that I could then order. So I almost would have preferred to have the Japanese menu or maybe even have both so that I could have 
ordered, but I, I get it. I understand why they would do that because often I'm sure you get a lot of tourists in who have no idea what they're doing and speak zero Japanese. So the assumption is just give them an English menu and they can point to it and we can just go based off of like number. Another one of my lowest points was when I was in a soba shop and the server was asking me if I wanted cold or hot noodles in English and my brain was in Japanese mode and I couldn't understand her. <laughs> I could not understand what she was asking me because she was speaking to me in English. That was a very low point. I think I was in Nara at the deer park and uh, that was very, the person I was with said, she's speaking English. I can understand her. What's wrong with you? And I'm just like, my brain just can't. I'm trying to switch between those gears is not uh, not quick, nor is it easy. Because the person I was with spoke no Japanese, so it was kind of a constant trying to translate things in between and asking what they wanted and like, what do you want? This is what's available. Okay, and then like by the end of our trip, it they were like. Oh, you ordered takoyaki from that stand, but they said no. And I'm like, no, no, I said thank you. And they said no, as in like, no problem. It's one of those things. Another thing, and I think English has this too, where you use a negative phrase to connotate a positive response. So kind of like in California English, I don't know if this is just in America, American English or not, but I know in California specifically where I live, you'll negate something and then follow it up with a positive. So if someone asks me, oh, do you want to go get some food? I'll be like, no, yeah, sure. And kind of that last bit is the bit you need to pay attention to because yes, I'm agreeing with you even though I started out with no or when someone's like, oh, do you want this? And I'll be like, yeah, no, thanks. And that is a negative response. <laughs> I started with yes, but I mean no because that's what I said last and then I'm thanking you to be polite. <laughs> so there's a lot of that in Japanese as well. And I'm sure it's probably in other languages. I just haven't delved as deeply into other languages as I have Japanese. Like Japanese, I actually took formal courses. Most of my other languages, it's been self-study or learning through exposure rather than actually taking formal courses. But when it comes to Japanese, I took it in high school and then I took it in college for a little bit to both satisfy the language requirements and because I thoroughly enjoyed it. I also did some American Sign Language as a kid, but that was more like to specifically learn things for performances and things like that. I really should get back into it because sign language is useful one for connecting with people who may be hard of hearing and it should be you know a more common thing that people learn both in school and things like that for ac access and equity 
personally, I believe. But as well as it's super useful for environments where you can't hear people, like if you're at a loud concert or you need to be quiet in a situation, having the ability to communicate without making noise is useful. It's also useful when you're working in daycares and you have children who may not be verbal yet or perhaps are just plain nonverbal. It's useful for communication in so many aspects. So that's something I really need to get back into, like, picking up. But I also do the grabby hands thing of, let's pick up all the languages, and then I don't stick with one long enough to become competent. I just have vaguely enough to kind of flail my way through different things, like my Spanish. (laughs) Just enough to flail my way through. Or like the Welsh. All I know is, like... I and can and want. I I can't ask for things. I can't ask for directions, at least yet. I suppose with practice and if I actually stick with it, that will come in time. But maybe I should try to focus on one thing. ADHD brain says no. (laughs) Let's do all the shiny things and let's do them all at once. I suppose that's how I ended up with 12 languages on my app. Let's see, because I have Welsh, Spanish, Irish, Greek, Japanese, High Valyrian, Chinese, Korean, Esperanto, Swedish, and French. Yeah, that's like 12. I haven't bothered with Italian or Russian. I only know one phrase in Russian, and that's please excuse my terrible Russian. Norwegian would be good. Turkish. Turkish would be good to pick up. Hebrew, Danish, Hindi. (laughs) I mean, I probably shouldn't be looking at new languages to pick up. I should stick with the languages I already have on here and get actually proficient in something. Probably starting with the Spanish and brushing up on my Japanese and keeping at least those two going strong. <laughs> language learning is fun, personally. I And I don't know if I have like a head for languages and that's why I enjoy it and other people are like, no, please don't make me. At least in America, I know other places in the world being bilingual and trilingual is by far more common and much more accepted. But for some reason, it seems like in America, there's a lot more resistance to learning a second language. Like you're only required to have one year of a language elective in high school and one semester of a language elective in college. People aren't required to speak multiple languages, which I think is very sad. I feel like we should encourage people to speak multiple languages because I think it breeds understanding. You know, you start, not only are you learning a new language, which is useful for communication, but you begin to unlock an understanding of culture as well, because in order to understand another language, you really need to start understanding the culture that your target language is coming from. Because if you don't, then you 
can't ever really become fluent, I think. Because in order to become fluent, I think you need to start being able to understand idioms and phrases and slang and all of these things that become a dual meaning. Like you can say a simple phrase, but it may have a different meaning than what you're really thinking, or at least more commonly. It may translate well, but that may not be what you're actually saying. I'm trying to think of a good idiom in English that wouldn't translate well to another language. Probably something like like a simile, but I can't think of a simile off the top of my head. Something like something, or something as something. And another thing is when you start to learn another language, you start to become even more proficient in your native language, I think because you start recognizing much more heavily the parts of speech and how things go together, especially, I think, when you learn a language that is very different from the language you speak. I personally love learning subject-object-verb languages rather than subject-verb-object because it's so different from what I'm used to, like the girl subject, runs, verb, to the store, object, (laughs) versus, oh, it's hard because Japanese, you can basically just say a verb, and there you go, that's a full sentence, because if I say, like, benkyoshimasu, I'm studying that, like, there was no I'm in that sentence, I can add I'm, watashi wa There's really no object. I'm just saying I'm studying. I could say that I'm studying Japanese. Watashi wa nihongo wo So I am watashi wa Japanese nihongo wo. And then benkyoshimasu, verb. So subject, I, object, Japanese, verb, benkyoshimasu at the end. And that's just how Japanese is set up. Verbs go at the end and your subject goes at the beginning and your object is in the middle somewhere and your verb is at the end. And that starts getting into the linguistic sides of things. So English, subject, verb, object, language. Japanese, subject, object, verb, language. So having that difference for me personally makes it a little easier to parse because It's like an anchor point for me to anchor onto, like, okay, this is different. This is how it settles in. Spanish actually gives me a lot of trouble because it's similar to English in the grammatical structure. So I actually have a hard time remembering how to put it together. Especially gets, it gets kind of tricky in some situations because like, for example, the red dress, vestido rojo, vestido rojo, sorry, got my genders wrong, I believe. Vestido, is it el vestido? Is dress masculine? That's the other thing is, like, Japanese doesn't have really masculine, feminine, or neuter verbs, and 
objects and things like that. Where uh, and neither really does English. Their English doesn't really have any masculine or feminine. So that's another easy thing for me because I don't have to try to figure out like are my connectors the correct gender for the words that I'm using. Whereas Spanish, you have gender like the table, la mesa, is feminine. So you have to use la and mesa. And that one's kind of easy because usually in general terms, if something ends in an A, it's feminine. If something ends in an O, it's masculine. But then there's a lot of exceptions like pan, bread, is masculine. So el pan. And then so el is the masculine the. But then mesa, table, is feminine, so you have to say la mesa for the table. So you have to use la, which is the feminine the. So anyways, I was talking about descriptors. So in English, you would say the red dress. Your descriptor, your adjective comes first. But then I've noticed in Spanish, let's use verde, green, vestido verde, the green dress. I think it's el, el vestido verde, the green dress. Green comes last. The adjective is tacked on to the end of the noun rather than coming before the noun. And then I think Japanese, you have to have a connector in there. So like showing possession, like something possesses something else, but you don't always need that. I believe the adjective comes first in Japanese. So I could say, what is dress in Japanese? I don't remember what dress is off the top of my head. For some reason, my brain is only remembering dress in English and Spanish right now. But what is dress? I should look it up. Okay, so I looked it up and my old Japanese textbooks don't line up with what actually translates as dress anymore. That's the other fun thing about learning languages is when they change and evolve as languages morph, especially like Japanese has a lot of English loan words. So I guess dress is just doresu now. <laughs> I swear it was like one piece or one piece before, but maybe that was a different time. Anyways, yeah, if you want to say like Green dress, I know the word for green is midori in Japanese, but when you type it into like Google Translate, it just says green dress. Let's red, let's say red dress, because I know that's akai. Okay, akai dress is like red dress. So that's, that's what I thought. The adjective comes first in Japanese for a descriptor. I think that's another reason why I'm shy to speak certain things like Spanish, where there is an attached gender because it's just this extra layer of things to remember. Like the nightmare as a language learner in Japanese is kind of a toss up between kanji because you have three writing systems in Japanese. You have hiragana, katakana, and kanji. And kind of you start with hiragana when you're learning and then you need to learn the kanji 
because not only is it kind of shorthand, but it gives you context for what you're talking about because you end up with words that are pronounced the same, but depending on how they're depicted with the kanji, it completely changes the aspect of what you're talking about. You also have kind of like stress on certain words and letters. Like I know hospital is byoin, and then hair salon is byoin, I believe. Might be flipped, but yeah. So you don't really want to confuse those two, especially if you want to go to the hospital and you end up saying something along the lines of, please take me to the salon. Another one is like kami. Kami, depending on the kanji, can mean god, it can mean hair, it can... There's also like a third something that kami means, but I don't remember off the top of my head. So learning the kanji becomes important down the line. Another kind of nightmare to deal with in Japanese is counters. So depending on what you're counting will depend on what little suffix you kind of attach onto the end of a number. So if you're counting years, you have the counter sai at the end. If you're counting um, minutes, you have fun or and or pun, depending on what number you're using, it changes. You also have like a counter for thin flat objects. You have a counter for animate objects and inanimate objects. You have, there's a general counter that you can kind of use for everything, but if there's a more specific counter for what you're trying to count, you should really use that. So that can get a bit much because there are a lot of them. I'm sure native speakers would forgive learners of the language for using something more general or the wrong counter. They would still probably get an idea of what you're talking about, but that can be tough. And then, yeah, with my Spanish learning, at least personally, trying to keep straight the gender of all of the parts of the sentence that I'm putting together so that I don't start mixing genders together. And then, yes, I'm sure people can still understand me, but it's a lot more confusing if you're not using the right things together. Greek, I find difficult because the grammar structure is very loose. You can pretty much order words almost any way you'd like, and it means the same thing. So that gets real confusing real fast. And then you have on top of it, gender as well, and multiple words for kind of the same thing. Welsh, my most difficult thing I've run into so far is the spelling and pronouncing things. Like I've found the double D, when there's two Ds together, it makes kind of a th sound. And then double Ls are kind of like, I don't even know how to pronounce it. Sometimes it's kind of like a sh sound. Dithlad. Yeah, it's, I don't, I don't know. And then the vowel combinations, like A-U is like an I sound at the end. Greek has some of that too. And I know Korean also has some of that as well, depending on like the words around it can change the pronunciation of your target word. Like that word by itself will be pronounced one way. And then in the context of a sentence, depending on how it's paired, it'll change the pronunciation 
of that word. So, or even like letter combinations, certain vowels next to consonants are pronounced one way. And then if there's a different vowel, it's pronounced completely differently. Or if you have like double consonants paired with certain vowels, it'll change. It's, it gets a little confusing sometimes. I find if I don't think about it too hard, I'm usually better off. But if I give it any concrete thought while I'm trying to translate things or speak, uh, no way. It starts getting real confusing. Anyways, that was a podcast on languages because I'm a nerd and I like learning languages. And with that, I will say goodbye and talk to you guys next week. Please see the description below for a transcription of the podcast. If you would like me to talk about a specific topic or if you have feedback, please email thequiethangout at gmail.com. And if you like what I'm doing, please see my Patreon link down below and feel free to donate and support it. With that, I will see you guys next week. Goodbye.